Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. say praise the Lord. You would turn with me to the book of Psalms chapter 27. We're so glad to have all of you here and uh, and all of you back. Amen. It's good to see Brother Maury, Sister Cindy and Allison back today and been out of town and of course they moved out of town Brother Maury, Sister Cindy. We're glad to have them back today, aren't we? So glad they're here. Amen. What a touch of the Lord and uh and I echo the words Sister Caitlin said about my, my wife, what an amazing lady she is. And uh, she's always cheering people on. Just got back last night from Dallas, going down cheering our team on. And uh, so appreciate what she does, and invest in, investing in people. It's her passion is uh, the kingdom of God. And we welcome everybody here today. We're so thankful. Those tuning in line, hey, listen, uh, Virtual church is like looking at heaven and uh, not being able to put your feet there. And so uh, for all those watching online, we're so glad you tuned in. But let me say to you, come on, Easter Sunday next week, Easter weekend, Saturday at 7, 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday. It's going to be awesome. And so children's service for all of those services. And so come and be a part of that. And we welcome, we welcome you to be, be here. Can you believe it's Easter? My goodness, it's Easter season. Spring is here. You know, I got a little bit of sun yesterday, and uh, I'm happy about it. Y'all happy about it? All right, this half wants snow tomorrow. Yeah, you want snow? Well, y'all better get with the program. Snow's gonna come on you if you don't respond. And uh, uh, we're so glad you're here. Thankful for what the Lord is doing. Before we read the Word, I want you to lay your Bibles down and open your heart. And I want you to ask God to speak to you. Would you do that? His word is so rich to us. Let's ask God over the building. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for who you are. I pray you would speak to us today through your word. We want to understand you. We want to know you. We want to grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalms 27, probably, if not my favorite portion of scripture, it's very, very close to being my favorite portion of scripture. And I committed my life to the Lord at a young age, and a teenager, and I said, I'm going to live for God forever. This portion of scripture uh, became a part of that covenant, Sister Sharp, and it was, it came in. Let's read some of it here today. Psalms 27, 1, the Lord is not just a light, he's my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. You know, that's what Jesus means, is Jehovah is my salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. Jehovah is my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3, though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should arise against me, in this will I be confident. Verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. One thing. 
Everybody say one thing. David writes in this psalm, he said, one thing of a desire to the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. How many feel that way? Amen. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Why? For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the, help me now, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Somebody shout, I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. From verse, verse 4, talking about desiring to be on the house of God, he said that I may behold the beauty of the Lord. I'd like to preach from that portion of Scripture, the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord. Would you praise Him for His Word today? <laughs> Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. We praise you. Let's do that all in the building. You've been good to us. You've been good to us. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The Lord is my light. He is my salvation. I was sitting in class as a senior in high school and at the time had begun to preach out, was even evangelizing some at that that stage of my life. And and my teacher knew that I was a preacher and every now and then she would go around the room and ask me questions and she'd make statements talking about fundamental views of the scripture and she would, without asking me, she'd just say, well, Mr. Bounds here, he believes this. And she was right. Because I do believe in uh, the literal word of God. I believe Jonah was swallowed by fish prepared by God. I just believe that. I believe that the, the entire Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. I, I, I believe it took five loaves, two fishes, and fed 5,000. How many believe the word of God is true today? Amen. I believe it's, I believe it's true. But I remember in one specific class that, that she was talking about faith and she was talking about our experience and what does the class believe. And I remember she's going around the room. She was asking different ones uh, in the class what they believed. And uh, she asked one person. He said, well, you know, I, I don't know. He said, I, I can't look at everything around outside and not believe that there was a creator. He said, I do believe there is a God. Somebody else made reference that they believed that there, there was the God. They believed Jesus was God in, in the class and they, they worshiped him as such. And it came to me, I was thinking about what I believed and, and I began in, in thought is that he's not just a God. He's not just the God. He's my God. You see this progression in Exodus chapter 12 when, when the lamb was slain and it's Palm Sunday by the way where he entered into Jerusalem and later became crucified. But in Exodus chapter 12, uh, about the lamb, this is where the Passover took place to get them out of Egypt. It was the last of the plagues. But in Exodus 12, the word of the Lord came to Moses and it says this, verse 2, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year to you. Look at your neighbor and say, this could be the first day of the rest of your life. Why? Because the lamb's going to be slain. That's right. And you're going to get out of Jerusalem. Look at your neighbor and say, you're about to get out of this mess you're in. Amen. He says, it's going to be beginnings. He said, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man, what? A lamb. He reads on and says, according to the house of the fathers, a lamb for an house. Verse 4 says, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next in his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. All of a sudden we see this progression of the lamb it goes from a lamb to the lamb. Verse 5 says, your lamb shall be without blemish a male the first year and shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. May I just stop here and say, God never intended to be just a God. Or to, come on, a God among gods. He never intended just to be the God. He wants to be my God. Amen. The psalmist didn't say the Lord is your shepherd. The psalmist said the Lord is my shepherd. It was never the intent of God just to be the God of a nation, but he intended to be the God that is personable to me. I'm glad we serve a personable God here today. Do you believe that? How many know he's a personable God to us? Hey, I'll take it as far as this. The Bible says that he's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't want to be somewhere distant from you. He's right here, right now among his people. We ought to praise him for that. He's in this room. He's in Zanesville. He's at 1365 Chamberlain Street. He's living down in my heart, just like the Bible says. My God. And so the same, the psalmist is writing on this narrative is that the Lord is in my light and he's my salvation. He says this about when trouble comes and things come. He said, I have one thing that I've desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the, what? House of the Lord all the days of my life. He said, he said, the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The, the, the time period, and I'm gonna teach you today, but the time period of this text, there was no temple. David goes on the right when he became king. He said it in this, he said it this way. He said, Lord, I'm convicted because we dwell in sealed houses, but you still dwell in a tent. Another word for tent is the word tabernacle. It's an interchangeable word, tabernacle or tent. And so he was making reference uh, in this about beholding the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He, he, he goes on to say, verse 5, let's look at it. In, in the teaching of the word of the Lord, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me where? In his pavilion, in the secret. The secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. He, he, is, he is referencing uh, something that we know of as the tabernacle plan, the tabernacle. The Bible says that the tabernacle was a pattern and it was also a shadow of things to come. That's right, everybody said tabernacle. So that's what they had at this point, all the way from the wilderness even to now. It's not until Solomon came king after David passed that the temple was actually built, but it's a tabernacle right now. 
David's making reference to this house of God. David's making reference to this secret place. He's making reference to this place where he can behold the beauty of the Lord. That, that there's, this, there's this spectacular view. There's something that he has seen that it's so beautiful that he says it's mine. He takes ownership of this God. He takes ownership of who he is. And so to understand it, we've got to go to the tabernacle here today that God showed Moses to build you can read about it in Exodus 25 later, but let's walk. If you were in the tabernacle, uh, uh, if everybody would face back to that door in the center, just look at that door for a moment. Uh, that door is actually facing east. Now, now look around the perimeter of this wall here, the, the perimeter of the wall. This would be like the yard of the tabernacle. Only had one entrance. It was the east gate. How many's ever heard this Psalms 100? Enter his Gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The tabernacle was set in, in, in two areas. There was the outer court that was under the open sky. And then there's the inner court. That's what is under the tent or in the tabernacle. Now, bear with me for a minute. When you would come to the east gate, the first thing you would see was a, was a, a mound of dirt. The only place that was elevated. It was a mound of dirt. And on that was what was known as the brazen altar. It's where the lamb was killed. It's where the sacrifice was made. Amen. Oh, I feel the Lord here. It's a pattern. It's a shadow of things to come. Let's just do it this way. If you had a drone, ladies and gentlemen, you know what drones are. Drone, let it go up and let it look down with the camera of that drone. Let's look from top. You would see the altar you would see the labor on the, out in the yard, and then you would come into what is known as the tabernacle. That, that's the tent. Everybody say the tent. Watch this. The only place that was elevated was the altar. Why? It was a symbolism, a shadow, a pattern of things to come. What was it? If Christ be lifted up. How I many know he wasn't just Jesus Christ. He was, John declared him as the Lamb of God. Amen. He said, if I be lifted up, he said, I will draw all men unto me. That's what Calvary was. Calvary was a place up on the hill where Jesus died on the cross. And he said, if I be lifted up, guess what? I will draw all men unto me. Calvary was a place where lost sinners could come to him and be saved. Aren't you glad he made a way for us? He made a way for me. The old song says, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. Then a little light from heaven filled my soul. But there was the altar. Then if you walk past the altar, next to the altar, there was something called the labor. It, 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 was, it, was, it was spaced a little bit apart. And the labor, the labor, when you come through the east gate, you get to the altar, you get to the labor. The labor looked like a bird bath made of looking glass or mirrors. You could actually look at it and see what manner of man you were. It was represented the word of God and and how we need to see ourselves as we are. How many know? And they would actually cleanse themselves and they would wash their hands and wash their feet before they would do the service at the altar. After they would do that, they would, they would take hot. Do you know where the do you know where the fire started on the altar? It was, it was on fire. When they laid the first sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 9, you can read it, verse 24. They, they didn't start the fire at the altar with a, you know, the friction sticks. They didn't have a big lighter. I don't think they had a a flamethrower, I don't think it was back there. But You know what they had? God. And when they laid the sacrifice and the tabernacle was beset, there was a fire that came out of heaven from the Lord and said, just like that. And it 
consumed and received the sacrifice. Now, it was the job of the priest to never let the fire go out. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let it go out. And the fire burnt upon the brazen altar and had to receive the sacrifice. The priest, the priest, uh, the, oh, I need, I need a priest. Trevor, would you be the priest today? You're going to be a priest. All right, you ready? Now, now the priest didn't look like everybody else. He dressed different. He, he represented God. He, he wore priestly apparel. He, he had this thing on his head called a miter, uh, miter. And the, the miter on his head was a hat that went straight up like that. Can y'all picture Trevor with a hat like that? It's going to get worse, let me tell you. It gets worse. And uh, He had a hat. He had a hat just like this. And the hat had a ring around it that would come around and would hold the hat and would press against his head like that to hold it on fairly tight. It was a gold ring, a gold band, and on the writing inscriptions, it was inscribed on the gold band, and it said, Holiness unto the Lord. You see, holiness was never supposed just to pull me out of the world. It was to take me unto God. Come out from the world and be separate, say the Lord, touch not the unclean. It, this is all terminologies that you could apply in the tabernacle with the priesthood. For God has made us kings and priests unto our God. Some people think they come to the Lord, I'm just, I'm just glad the Lord's not killing me. He didn't intend that for that. He didn't just pull you out of sin. The Bible says when he brought them out of Egypt, he took them out of Egypt into the promised land. The goal is not to just come out of sin, it's to come unto God. Amen. Amen. He's got a place for me. He's got a place for me, reserved for me. Everybody shout, God wants a relationship with me. And so what's interesting is about the mitre is that, that even though it was held on with a, a golden band of holiness, if, you ever heard of right wing, left wing? You ever heard of conservative and liberal? Watch this. If he would lean too far to the right, it would slip off of his head. He'd lose the holiness of God. If he leaned too far the opposite way, it'd slip off of his head. He would lose the holiness of God. God expected the priest to be balanced. To be balanced. I'm just going to throw this out here. If we lean too far to the right of holiness and all, all of these things and all these rules and regulations, and, and I've seen holiness not be pure holiness. I've seen holiness. The, the, you know, the Bible says uh, righteous over much. Some people want to be holy just to be holier than you. Well, bless God. They, they, that's what the Pharisees were. They created hundreds of laws that weren't even biblical because they wanted you to think they were holier than the other guy. I'm going to tell you, that's carnality. I'm going to give you another thing, something called liberal. When you lean too far to the left and you don't want any guidelines, you don't want any laws, you don't want any restrictions, any self-denial, just anything goes, guess what? That's carnality as well. And, and, and we've got to get to a place of balance that says, what does God want from me? The Bible calls it reasonable sacrifice. Present your bodies to the Lord a reasonable sacrifice. He expects us to be balanced and not try to do this for people, but do it for God. If we do it for people, it's legalism. If we do it for God, it's, it's righteousness, it's holiness, it's purity. It's... Let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of my heart be what? Acceptable in your sight. Not just to please Joe, but let me please God. Somebody shout, I want to please God. That's holiness. That's righteousness. I, I want to please the Lord. He also had on this garment, it was, it was a linen ephod, and that's why his hands had to be clean. Anybody ever wore white linen? Very easily wrinkled, uh, easy to get dirty, and, and, uh, and he had to be clean. And, uh, but he, he, 
my goodness, I feel like preaching to you for a little while because he represented who God was to those people. He had a breastplate, breastplate, you can read about these things, breastplate over his chest. He had these, uh, uh, um, uh, they were precious stones on the shoulders that represent the 12 tribes of Israel over the breastplate as well. And he had this robe that he wore. Not, don't picture him in a dress, but in a robe. He had a robe. And, uh, uh, hey, Brother Denver, can you give him your jacket? Oh, that's going to be almost a robe with my brother. <laughs> bring, bring, bring that here. He had a robe. I'm going to take a little time today. It's Communion Sunday. <laughs> and... Uh, Now, I want you to do this. Uh, I want you to do like this. Yeah, do like that. All right. Now, watch. He, he would serve the altar. He'd serve the labor. But there's this place. Walk with me. We're not going to go too far. But when you would come past the altar, the labor, and then you would enter in into the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a special place to God. He said, this is where I'm going to meet with my people the children of Israel. Everybody said it's a pattern, it's a shadow. When he would come, when he would come into there, when he would come into there, there was no light that could be visible in the tabernacle. How many ever camped in a tent? You know, when you're camping, you think, man, I wish I was in my bed. You know, you know how it is. You know? But when you camp in a tent, when the sun comes out, you know it. Small, thin material. The tabernacle tent was not like that. Uh, the tabernacle tent was covered in badger skin. Now that's not like wolverine badgers as we hear it. Badger skin was a, was a water mammal, had very thick skin, impossible to be penetrated by water. It was very thick and it was dyed red. Why? Because it, cause you can't. The holy place you can't get into without being covered in the blood. That's right. Amen. It allows us into the beauty of the Lord. It allows us into the presence of God. And the Lord wanted a place that had zero influence by the world, by the light of the world, by, by, by logic, if you will. And when you would walk through, everybody look at the gate. That's the first gate. That's the outer court gate. Enter his gates. That means there's plural gates. The first gate was entered to the outer court. The second gate was actually entered into the tent or the tabernacle. When you would get in, if you walked into the tent, there was open eyes in here. There, nothing you can't see. It's absolutely pitch black to the ground, to the top, everything. It's, you cannot see anything in the holy place. Absolute pitch black darkness. But in here, there were three things. Are you ready to see this? Right here, there was the seven-tiered golden candlesticks. A bowl on top of it that was fed by pure olive oil. Gravity would feed it, come up into those pipes so it could burn as a candle. Right here was a, was a box about that big. That tall, that wide, it was equally this way and this way. About that tall, had a grate on the top of it, and in it could hold hot coals. You would actually pour anointing oil down in it, and it would sizzle, and it would have this smoke that would come out. It would call it incense. How many ever been to the store where they would burn incense? You thought, man, there's some weird people in here. Yeah, you, know, you ever done that? This is like a weird shopping place. Yeah. Uh, no, no, y'all don't think that way, do you? But I'm like, man, there's some hippies around here somewhere. Yeah, But, but there's... But truly oil is in the, in the corner somewhere. You know it's there. Yeah. Hey, but the, you, you've got this incense burning here. And over here, you've got the table of shoe bread. 
Watch. The table of shoe bread was on the right. So if you come into the east, there's the altar, the laver. You get into the tent. It's actually absolutely pitch black. But if we turn the lights on just for a minute, there's, there's seven-tier golden candlestick. There's the altar of incense. And right here is the table of shoe bread. There are 12 loaves of bread. There are unleavened bread. They are sprinkled with this uh, seasoning called frankincense. You ever wonder why it was frankincense? Because it's bitter. You can't, you can't eat frankincense. Uh, it's bitter. I mean, ugh. You ever put something in your mouth and wish you hadn't? Yeah, yeah. And what would happen, and you say, I'm, listen, this is free for you. I'm just going to throw this in there. You stay right there. When you eat the bread, that represented the bread of life. It represented the word of God. And what happens is, is when you eat the bread of life, when you eat the word of God, it will always initially taste bitter to you. It's a sh Come on, the preacher starts walking down the avenues of your soul in the word, and you go, oh. But if you just keep chewing the shoe bread, it'll go from bitter and turn sweet, and will become strength to your body. Yeah. Amen. How many's ever been in a service, and the preacher's preaching, you go, mm, that's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one to taste. Who can, who can taste this? Who can take this? But if you'll just che keep chewing on the word, it will become sweet and will give you direction, will give you clarity, and will give you power. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. Somebody shout, the word of the Lord. Amen. Good preaching will initially taste bitter. I can't believe he's... Just chew on it. Don't spit it out. Don't, don't, don't throw that message back out. You, you let it get into your, your spirit. Then you realize, hey, I needed that. I needed strength. I was lost. But God, I'm telling you, the word of God will oppose you. Somebody say, keep chewing on it. Hey, young people, let me just give you an understanding because he's the light of my salvation. Watch this. Turn around. Let's look at that altar. You, you have to walk back to the altar. You take these tongs. Sort of like a, 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 if you've ever barbecued, you got these, you know, these tongs that you can grab and flip the meat with. You can also pick up the hot coals and move them and with charcoal. They would reach into that altar and grab hot coals and they would take the hot coals into the tabernacle. Watch, the fire that came from God is now in the tongs of the priest. He would walk in, walk with me, and he would light a seven-tiered golden candlestick. And all of a sudden, the dark room became illuminated because there was an altar that was built. There was a, a fire that fell that now illuminates the room for a reason because you can't eat the shoe bread if you don't have the lights burning. You, well, let me just put it this way. God never intended for the word of God to be studied with an intellectual, logical mind. You can't open the book and read the book from an intellectual, study it like you do arithmetic, science, and, and all those things. You'll never get the picture because God's word is designed in such a way you will only understand it by divine revelation. That's why the room was dark until the light from the altar got in that room. Amen. And when the light of God came in, he began to reveal. Everybody shout revelation. You can't even understand who God is unless God turns the light on you on you to see who he is. That's why when Simon Peter, Jesus asked this statement, watch this, Jesus asked this statement, he said, he told his 12 disciples, who do men say that I the son of man am? One said, oh, 
You're John the Baptist. Some say that thou art Elias or one of the prophets. He said, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter raised his hand. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the and watch what he said. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. You didn't get this from a professor. You didn't get this from a teacher. He said, but my heavenly, but the Father has revealed it unto you. Understanding who God is comes by divine revelation. Amen. I want to know him. I want to know who he is. How about you today? I want to know who he is. I want to know who he is. Somebody shout revelation. Revelation. The revelation of God. The revelation of who he is. And there is a place that when you get along with God, God begins to reveal things. And that's that's what the psalmist was saying. The Lord's my light. He's my salvation. Man, we could talk all day. Listen, listen. We can go for a long time on the tabernacle. I'm going to try to skip to it. But the, the point is, is that a, 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 a tabernacle was a place, Exodus 25, it says where God meets with man. How many believe God can meet with us? Amen. Man, I, I want you to just open your heart to the Lord right now and say, God, I want you to meet with me. Lord, I pray that you'll meet with me. I want to know who you are. To behold the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. Hey, man, now watch this. Hey, you went from a priest, but you're going to be Moses for a minute. Are you ready? Before God gave him the revelation of the tabernacle, the Lord actually called Moses up into a mountain, Brother Seth. He called him up into the mountain, and God met him there. Now watch this. For 40 days, he neither, neither ate, neither ate nor drank. Now listen, 40 days of no food is terrible. 40 minutes, Carol, is terrible. Uh, Listen to me. But 40 days of no food and water is a miracle. Is a miracle. You can't go with it. What that meant was God sustained him. He lived in the sustenance of God. I wonder what would happen if we went back to being thankful and saying everything I, everything good in my life came from the Lord. Come on, I'm telling you, we are here today by the grace of God, the mercy of God. Everything I have, my wonderful family, is because God has blessed me with these things. How many believe that? We ought to be thanksgiving. There ought to be a thankfulness in us that says, he saved me, he blessed me, he gave me the food on my table, the clothes on my body. It's from the Lord. 40 days. No water, no food. And all of a sudden, watch this. He's alone with God. Everybody say alone with God. Let's not miss this. Let's not make this about a building. That's what the psalmist was writing. To behold the beauty of the Lord, not the beauty of the temple. Billy Cole was, a, was an apostle. I knew him personally. Grew up around him. He saw, he saw one million people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Spirit. He would preach to crowds of 500,000 at a time. Uh, he was first... Uh, I mean, started pastoring, was 20, but became a missionary to Thailand. And while he was over there, I mean, he, he went over with one suit. You're talking about sacrifice. Sometimes I think nowadays we wait till we got it all together to go, and some, those old timers walk by faith. He went to Thailand. As, you sit down, Trevor. But he went to Thailand, and there God gave him favor, so much so that he was invited to see the king of Thailand. And uh, he tells the story how when he was going into Thailand, going in to see the king, that they prepared him to go into the throne room of the king. They said, now listen, 
They said, when you get into the throne room, you're going to see things you've never seen before that you can only see, that people only see in the throne room of a king. The grandeur, the architecture, the beauty, the art, the, the gold trimmings, everything. It is a grander place like you've never seen. But here's the rule of seeing the king. You never get your eye on the room. You must keep your eye on the king. Listen, folks. The king's in the building. And if we're not careful as Christians, we will walk into the building and look at the walls and well, well, did, did they keep the beat? And what, what's the temperature? I don't know if the temperature was pleasing. Uh, you know, you know we, we live in an American culture. Uh, I, I, we live in an, uh, 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 in an American culture where, where young people can drop, buy a $4 cup of coffee, $300 tennis shoes, and complain about the country. No, let's be real. You know, we probably shouldn't argue about gas prices if, if, if we buy buying $5 cups of coffee. Anyhow, let's just let's help me, Jesus, you know. But, you know. You know what I'm talking about. We live in an American culture to where we're not grateful. We have, we have trained up an entire generation that does not appreciate what they have. Is it possible that that's in our culture it gets into the church? That we can come in and fold our arms and sit there through the songs and, and not even listen to the preaching when the preaching and we get our eyes on the walls, we get our eyes on everything and get our eyes on us and we forget that the whole purpose of being in the temple is that our eyes is to behold the beauty of the Lord. That he is the one, he's the reason we're here. Somebody shout to behold the beauty of the Lord. And the goal of being in the throne room is to see the king. And this great moment, come up here with me. There's this great moment where Moses goes up into the mountain alone with God. Alone with God. And, and there's this verse that says, hey, I'm going to be a little while. Are you okay? Now watch this. There's this verse. Everybody said, behold the beauty of the Lord. There's this verse where, where God takes him up into the mountain, Moses, and he says, I'm going to show you some things. But the Bible says he saw the hinder parts of God. I do not believe that he actually saw the backside of God. I, I believe theologically he, God was showing him things that no one else has ever seen. Everybody said the beauty of the Lord. He said, now watch this. In the midst of this fast, in the midst of the mountain, he said, now look, I'm going to show you something that predates creation, that predates any human being, that predates anything that you've ever seen. Watch this. And are you ready? Pay attention, Moses. Look, look, are you ready? You can't see anything because it's dark. There was no light. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But watch this. In the beginning, I created the heaven and the earth. Watch what happened. In the midst of darkness, I said, let there be light. And there was light. All of a sudden, watch this. I divided the, 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 the night from day, light from darkness, divided the water above from the water beneath. And guess what? I pulled land up out of the sea. I spoke it. And here come the mountains. And here came the fields and the valleys and the rivers and the seas. And look at that. It just... Brown landscape. Watch what I did. I spoke and lilies began to come and trees began to pop up. You see it? Can, can, look, look. You see it? Watch this. Moses, I did all of these things. Hey, see that cow over there? Look at that giraffe because I'm, I'm artistic. I'm creative. I stretch his neck out like that. You know? look, look, look at that big chubby one over there with a big trunk. It's called an elephant. You know, it's, it's, I did all of these things. You ought to be thankful all you cat lovers. He did that too. I don't know why he did that, but he did that for you, some of you, you know. 
For all the dog lovers in the building, we know why he did that. Can you say amen? There's going to be a church split here today. But, but watch what happens. I did all of that. Let me show you what it was all for. Walk with me. Watch what I did. I spoke everything else into existence. When it came to man, I rolled my own sleeve up. I got down in the dirt. Come on. And I formed man from the dust of the ground. I put my own hands in his life. I formed him. That's why Romans 5 says that Jesus, the first Adam, was made in the image of the second Adam. That's where Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our image. That's what it's referring to. Is God was looking down uh, 4,000 years away, designing Adam in the image of the Savior to come. And he said, I put my hands in his life and I formed him. And he was known as the first son of God because he was out of the creation of God. And I formed him. And that wasn't all. He was laying there as a corpse. Are you, are you sick? Can you see it with me? Watch Moses. Watch what happens. And I get down and I get down and I breathe into his nostrils, almost like doing CPR. I breathe into that breath of blood. And man became, his eyes opened and his lungs began to pump and his heart began to beat. He said he was made my image and don't ever forget everything you seed was made for my creation for I made man in my likeness did I preach to you today that the Bible says with his own arm he brought salvation to man that's why from heaven came a savior he didn't, he, he, he didn't just raise somebody up. He came out of heaven into this earth. You know why? To pick me up in my mess, in my dirt, in my filth, to raise me up and give me a second chance. That's what salvation is all about. That's what Easter's all about. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Moses, I'm gonna meet with my people. Somebody shout, he did it for me. Oh yeah, Moses. And so there's this tabernacle thing that I want to show you. Moses, listen, so I want to meet my people. I, I've been separated for a while through, through Adam's and Eve's sin and all that. I want a relationship with people. I, I, want, I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. I, I want them to see who I am. I don't want them just wandering all over the earth doing their own thing. I, 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 want them to do what, I want them to do what I made them to do. They're worshipers and praisers and understand who I am. Watch, watch Moses. Because in that tabernacle, there's these three instruments, but there's not just one room in the tabernacle. There's two. Everybody say two. And the holy place is separated by another room. It's called the Holy of Holies. It's separate. Would everybody grab your hand and hold it like this? That's the veil. The veil wasn't thin. The veil was thick. Everybody say it was thick. It would have been heavy to pick up. It, I mean, it, it is a thick veil. The veil stretched from the top to the bottom. It was sealed on the sides and sealed on the top. So much so that the light from the holy place could not shine through into the holy of holies. Y'all okay out there? Everybody say, behold the beauty of the Lord. And on one day a year, the priest would walk in and he would come into the holy place. He would bring blood from the sacrifice from a spotless lamb. They had searched it through, not one blemish, not one mistake. I'm going to tell you, you can, you can search Jesus all you want. You're not ever going to find a flaw. You're not going to find a mistake. There's no fault. I believe, I, I agree with Pilate. I found no fault in him. Come on, I see nothing worthy of the things you're committing him of. Woo! How many believe he was perfect? How many believe he was the Lamb of God? How many believe he was great in everything he's ever done? Amen. I come to tell you, he was perfect in all. 
to take away the sin of the world. And watch this, and he takes the blood, and he's got the blood. Uh, uh, man, I just, I gotta stop right here for a minute. Jesus is flawless. Jesus never made a mistake. He never had a bad thought. Do you believe that? Amen. I agree with Pilate's wife when she said, had nothing to do with that just man. I think just for a moment, we ought to stand and praise the holiness of our Savior. We ought to stand and praise the perfection of the Lamb right now. Amen. He's been good. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to die. And I feel like preaching here just for a moment. He did not have to die when they, when they, when they striped him with 39 strikes. He didn't have to do it. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels down to set him free from that abuse. He could have. He was abused for the abused. He was broken so you could be made whole. 39 stripes on his back so you could be healed. I come to tell you the crown of thorns on his head so he could get your thoughts back in control. Do you believe that? Those hands of sin, those feet that led to mischief, there was nails driven for those and at any second he could have called 10,000 angels to set him free, but he didn't. Hebrews says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew what was gonna happen when he died. He could have come off that cross, but he knew there's about to be an intervention. There's about to be a breakthrough. Somebody shout glory. And what would happen is, just be be seated. What would happen is when you would stand, stand in the holy place, the priest would have a bowl, a bowl of blood in one hand on the day of atonement, one day a year. He'd have the golden, golden censer in the other. In the golden censer, there were hot coals. There, there There was oil poured over the incense. There was, would have been a golden glow from the hot coals of the altar, sizzling of the incense. How are you gonna get from the holy place into the holy of holies. How are you going to get there? Because there is no door. How you get to the holy of holies? You can't go around the sides. It's, it's, you can't do it. You, you, you can't go over it. It's too high. You can't get under it. It's too heavy. Your hands are full. How do you get to the holy of holies? Most theologians believe, I agree, is that the only way you can get in here you have to be received, which was translated into that the lamb had been slain, God knew it had been perfected, and the high priest had been received up into glory. Listen, Jesus wasn't only the lamb. Hebrew says in chapter 4, for we have a high priest. <laughs> who is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Therefore let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I tell you that Jesus was the lamb as well as the high priest? And he was received up in the glory. Now watch on the day of atonement. Bear with me. You know, I preached about pizza last week, didn't I? I think it was, was it last week I talked about pizza. It might have been a week before. But listen to me. If you would cut a big round pizza and you'd have 12 slices, at the center of that pizza was the tabernacle. The slices were where the tribes of Israel were. Every tent in all of Israel, north, south, east, and west, everything faced toward the tabernacle. That's where the pillar of cloud was over it by night and there's a, uh, the pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Everybody could see on the day of atonement all of that nation that has sinned. Anybody ever sinned? I believe with my whole heart. 
But they stood in tension, moms and dads and little kids and grandmas and grandpas stood their tent and their tribe, looking down at that tabernacle, looking down at the Day of Atonement, wondering, has the high priest been received? Translated from the holy place into the holy of holies. And I imagine that when he translated through the veil, I believe this with my whole heart, because salvation is supernatural. I said salvation is supernatural. Amen. This isn't just something you sign a church book and you're good and you just make some confession. Let me tell you something. I believe that it's, it's, it, it is an act of God that changes your heart, that allows you in. I believe it's a, it's a move of God that changes us. I believe there's a true supernatural conversion. Do you believe that? Amen. And when he was received in, watch this, on the bottom of his garment, on the bottom of his garment, at the bottom of the robe, there was a, a, a everybody hold a pomegranate. Pomegranate's about to be ready. Pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell was at the bottom of the robe. And so when he was translated in, come, come in, and he's got blood in this hand and incense, he would go in. There's not one ray of light except the hot coals and the golden censer. The only illuminated glow in that room would have been from the golden censer that had hot coals from a brazen altar. And this is what he would do. You got spotless blood of a lamb, lamb, blood of a spotless lamb, and in this hand, he would start worshiping the Lord. Everybody get your golden censer out and just wave it like this. It was worship. See, anybody can praise him, but not everybody can worship him. You could be at the honky-tonk last night and come to church and praise him. He can live like the devil and come to church and praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise him. But a worshiper has an altar that he died out to. He gave a life. Paul said, I die daily. The Bible says God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm not talking about praise right now. I'm talking about worship and adoration. I'm talking about worship is relationship. Praise, you can just, you can just be thankful that God did something for you. But worship is about knowing him. Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Watch this. And he would get in there. Oh, get your golden center out and wave it like this. And the room would be filled with an aroma from an altar in the priest's life. And the Bible says it was a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. And then he would take that blood and he would Sprinkle it. Now look, look, there's not, it's not just a blank room. I'm sorry I left this out. Throw it up there. In this room is the Ark of the Covenant. It is a covenant between you and God. Listen, the world of unbelievers, they have their own laws. But in the kingdom, we are brethren. Amen. As a body, we are the children of God. How many believe that? And when you are born again, you have laws to go by. And it is a covenant. You're just not of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We are a holy nation. Americans, yes, but we're a nation within a nation. We're a Christian nation. Peculiar people. We should show for thy praises to him that called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. There are laws that are now applied to believers once you are in the kingdom of God. There's blessings as well as curses in the kingdom. Do you believe that? And in this, in this, look, look here. In this, it was about 47 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches tall, about as big as your coffee table. There was a lid that was on top of that Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was very thick. Get your hand and hold it up there. You know, a lot of thick things in this temple, in this tabernacle. Solid plate of gold that sat on that. My goodness. 
over top of it was solid gold cherubims that their wings pointed toward each other. You can see it there. And the Lord said in Exodus 25, he said, I'm going to meet you at the mercy seat. That's where I'm going to meet you. Hey, hey, let me get this Bible. That's his word, and he expects us to live from it. But can I help somebody today? I've messed up a bunch of times in my life. Is there anybody? And inside of that, of that Ark of the Covenant, there were, most would say three, but if you dig a little deeper, you'll find four. There was what? A golden bowl of manna. There was Aaron drive that. There was the literal table of stone that God gave Moses in the mount, the law that was in there. If you dig a little deeper, you'll find that Moses' song was slid down there as well because worship is a part of what we do of deliverance. Can you say amen? He said, my covenant, Ark of the Covenant, becomes the Ark of the Testimony. The Ark of the Covenant is if you will live according to my word, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to do for you what no other nation can have done for them. I'm going to, I'm going to bring the supernatural life. There are going to be angels of provision, angels of protection. They're going to be, do you believe there's power in the church? Yes. Come on, I haven't lost you, have I? Watch this. The law is in the Ark of the Covenant. It's down in the box. And you say here today, but I've failed God. I've slipped up. I've done some things wrong. Can I remind you that the thing that covers the law is this big seat called mercy? Mercy covers my mistake. Mercy covers my error. Mercy covers it. And you know what he said? He said, that's where I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you at the seat of mercy. Come on up here. There's something about mercy. We're not here because we're good enough. We're here because he's merciful. We're not here because we're perfect. We're here because he's perfect in all of his ways. Would you clap your hands and praise him? He has perfect my imperfections. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's what Calvary is about. This is what Easter is about. To behold the beauty the Lord, I am convinced that when he got in this room that was dark, the only glow that could have been in there, and, and the only glow that could have been in there was the glow from the golden censer. You got the golden censer out? But when he took the blood, everybody say the high priest, take, get, get, get the blood. Come on, be a priest for a minute. Get the blood. Put it on your hands. And when he would take the blood, he would actually sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And when the blood would hit the mercy seat, I am convinced with everything in me that the glory of God would begin to shine just like the first day of creation. There was a glow that happened in that room. I'm convinced it reflected off of that priest's garment, filled that room with a light. And it was here that, that the petitions could be made. It was here that God had accepted a sacrifice to say, I will not hold this sin to your charge. I will not let that mistake keep you from a promised land that I have in your future. It was a place where God's beauty could be held. And you could, what? Inquire in his temple. What's the direction for our nation? What's the direction for, when Moses was in the mountain received the law, when he walked out of the presence of God, his faith, Face did shine like the light. It scared the people because he had been in the presence of God and the glory of God Almighty. Can I say to you, church cannot become something just routine, methodical religiosity. It must be a place where the presence of God dwells. It must be a place where there's a move in the spirit. It must be a place. Watch what happens. And listen, listen, I'll close in a few moments. But when you find uh, this dynamic of following the pattern of the temple, of the tabernacle, 
Absolutely anything could happen. When he was translated into that place, he would begin to worship. Now, I just want, I want you to face them, and I want you to just begin to sway like this. All of a sudden, at the bottom of his garment, you could, you could have heard it. You could have heard the pomegranates hitting those bells. It was, it was symbolic to the fruit of the Spirit hitting the gifts of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, there was this music of worship that would take place in the Holy of Holies that said, there's no way I can be righteous, but through the fruit of the Spirit, I can live better than I've ever lived. He gives me joy and peace and long-suffering and patience. He gives me kindness. Come on, it'll take a hateful man and make him a loving man. It'll take a horrible lady and make her a righteous lady because that's what God does when you get in his presence. And when people show up with mercy, they show up with an altar, they show up with worship, and they say, I'm not deserving, but the blood made the difference. It was the blood of the lamb. Oh, God, that you've received the sacrifice today. All of a sudden, the sounds begin to go of the gifts of the Spirit. And this is all patterns and symbolic to the church. Everybody say gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, healings, supernatural things begin to happen. That's why when we went on a fast, we had laid some sacrifice down. And on Tuesday night, a prophet in this building stopped in the middle and he started seeing things in the spirit that worship from the body. And the gifts of the spirit begin to operate. He began to say things. He said, I can see it now. You go back and listen. I see a church three times the size of this. Three services can't hold the harvest that the anchor's gonna have. Let me tell you something. You start beholding the beauty of what God's going to do in your life. He's not done with you. I don't care what you've been. I don't care what you've done. He's not done in your life. Beauty of the Lord. You can sit down. You can give Denver's coat back. It's going to be heavier now because it's got these bells and pomegranates on it. You know. Somebody shout the glory. glory. I remind you that when he said let there be light, he created his glory before he ever created anything else. You can be seated. He did not create light as we know it, the sun, the moon, the stars, until verse 14. He created glory before he ever created natural light. What does it mean? Because when you get to heaven, come here, John. Because there's some things that happen. There's some things that happen at Calvary. And everybody grabbed that thick veil. I mean, you can't, you can't tear it. It's like, a, it's like a New York phone book. You can't tear it. It's too thick. No man can tear it. The veil represented what stood between God and man. Hebrews 10 says it is our flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, you know you're the problem. It's you. It's your attitude. It's your flesh. It's your carnality. How many's ever got to go to the altar and say, oh, it's me again. I've got a bad attitude. You ever been there? I have. I went to the altar this week and said, I've got a bad attitude. I've got to take care of that flesh. Paul said daily, I die daily. But watch this. All of a sudden there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful story that unfolds in the parallel of the tabernacle. It's that Jesus is our lamb. Could have opened his mouth, but he, he didn't do it. Just Tiffany, he didn't do it. He, he didn't do it. He let him kill him. Creation killed the creator because John 1, 1 says the beginning was the word, word with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him as the creator. He became the creation and he 
Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. How many believe that? He died when he didn't have to because he had a desire, and that is to put his hand back in your life, Adam. The marred flesh of man, he's going to let you have access to him again. And when he was hanging on the cross, come here, come here, I want you to be Jesus for a minute. He's hanging on the cross, nails in his hands, and he made this cry, Father, I want you to say this with me, Brother Cody, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I stand as a substitute for every sinner that's ever been and every sinner that will ever be. I'll die in their place. Why? Because it took sonship to remove the barrier between the Jew and the Greek and the bond and the free. The thing that separated from man had to be removed and the only way it could be was a spotless lamb who was the son of God. Nobody else could do it. That's why you see little glimpses of this narrative in the scripture and they throw an adulterous woman caught in the very act of adultery and when they, in in the temple, watch what happened. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. He gets down on his knees and puts his hands in the dirt. It's not the first time he's ever had his hands in the dirt. That creative hand of God. (laughs) He said, he that's without sin, go ahead and kill her. Not one of them, their sins were revealed in their own heart as those religious Pharisees had their own secrets. And one, I believe it was the eldest, the youngest, began to drop the stone and walk away. And he looks at that woman and he said, where are thine accusers? And she lifts her head and looks around. And all evidence has been removed in one word of the Lord. The accusers are gone. He said, woman, how many know he wrote something in the dirt? I don't know what he wrote and neither do you. You can guess all you want to. But he wrote there, I just believe he put his hands back in the dirt back in creation and he said woman neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more because Jesus in his role is to save sinners can I say to the anchor tonight as the Holy Ghost is ministering through me right now that when he went to Zacchaeus' house a man that had robbed his own people through taxes he went to his house and the crowd murmured and complained What's he doing in there? What's he doing in there with, with Zacchaeus? He's robbed us. He's a tax collector. And Jesus stood out that day. And he doesn't want them. He didn't want them to forget it. He doesn't want us to forget it. He stood out in Zacchaeus' house. He would repent it. He said, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." Can I tell you? I don't care how far you feel you are away from God. There is a Savior that can bring light to your darkness, a hope to your hopelessness. He can bring healing to your brokenness. He's a Savior. He's a Savior. Watch this. And when he died, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Silence. Except in the temple. Everybody take your hand like this. Come on, grab that phone book. And from the top to the bottom, what had no access to God, the barrier between God and man, when he died, could you imagine being the custodian in the temple? from the top to the bottom it was like as if God came down himself and he ripped that veil from the top to the bottom that says listen there's now no longer a barrier between the Jew and the Greek and the bond and the free anybody can come to me come on come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest 
Somebody shout, you can come to him. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you can come to God. And that's what David was writing. David was writing this thing called the temple. This thing called a relationship is not about the building. It's not about the tent. It's about beholding the beauty of the Lord. Let's all stand. He's a miracle worker. He's a way maker. The grave could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and pain. I come to preach to you that when the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, you don't have to come to me to get to him. You can go right to him. He said, I am the door. No man cometh to the Father except by me. He is how you get in to the holy place. Through him. Somebody shout through the door. That's why Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you there's a way in? Romans 6 says we are baptized into Christ. Somebody say amen. I want you to tell somebody beside you, you can come out and be taken in. Taken into what? The glory of the Lord. It's, It's a beautiful thing. I've seen conversions happen and people are born again. Brother Lavelle, it's amazing. Brother Shante, it's so powerful. I've had friends that were growing marijuana, marijuana under black lights and drinking and partying and stealing and watch them come to an altar of repentance and get on their knees, confess their sin to the Lord God. I want God to change me. Baptize them in the name of Jesus. God fill them with the Spirit. And I watch them say, it feels like curtains have been removed from my eyes. I've never seen life so beautiful. Aaron, it's amazing. I feel like I see a future. I've never seen the mountains and the trees and the skies. What is this? It's the beauty of the Lord. It's life. There's no hopelessness in Him. You know what needs to happen? We need a revival of the beauty of the Lord. We need a revival in our jail cells. We need a revival in our street corners. We need young people that can say, hey, I feel hope in my life. Do you believe that? Clap your hands if you believe it. Moses saw the hinder parts of God. That's where you get Genesis. He saw pre-creation. What an experience that would have been. Brother Dean, Sister Judy, you imagine that? Brother Dunlap, could you imagine seeing that? God showing you something that no man's ever seen before. It's called a revelation. But after the veil was torn, he had this one disciple by the name of John. Everybody say John. He was known as John the... John the Beloved. Why? Because he was the closest person to Jesus. He was his friend. You see him at the marriage supper table lamb. Picture, you see that his head is laying on his chest because he was closest. They were all martyred except John. John, they tried. They tried to martyr him, but it seemed like they couldn't kill him. They put John on this Isle of Patmos, an island called Patmos. It was a place where you persecuted people. It was a lonely place. It was a torture place that the waves beating the sea would absolutely drive you crazy. It was a bad day. You ever had a bad day? I mean, you ever had, the Bible says, and it was one of those days. You ever had one of those? Watch this, I'm closing, I promise. But there's, after the veil was torn, you see Moses in the mountain, he saw the hinder parts of God, but after the veil was torn, we're getting ready to see something. While he was on the Isle of Patmos, Revelation chapter one starts. And he said, I was in the spirit 
on the Lord's day. Can I say that if you've ever felt God, it's a privilege. To be in the house of God is a privilege. I may believe that. It's a privilege. And, and the Lord shows up at the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 1. The Lord shows up. And, and John, he, that, that's, that's the hinder parts of God. But all of a sudden in the Isle of Patmos, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord reveals himself to him. And the Bible says that John, the beloved, saw the face of God. Moses saw the hinder parts. John saw the face of God. And, we, and when he beheld him with Zion... He fell down as a dead man. Do that. Humbled himself before the Lord in the fear of God. All those people said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the Lord, why did you? It ain't going to happen. You're going to stand silent. You ain't ever seen anything like the face of God. But it's almost as if God, God in Revelation said, hold on, hold on, John, get up. It's me. I am the first and the last. Read it, Revelation 1. Which is, which is, which was, which is the coming almighty John. John, listen. I'm not in a grave. You know I'm resurrected. Watch this, John. I'm going to show you something. Are you ready? Because church isn't about just checking off the box. It's about getting to know the Lord. Are you ready? John, here it is. Watch. Look at that. Can you see that? Remember, remember, I told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare, I will come again and receive it into myself. Well, here it is. Look at that. You ever seen anything so beautiful? John, the streets of gold. Hey, look, look at the, the walls of jasper, the gates of pearl. Hey, John, listen. There's 12 foundations, and your name's on one of them. All the finest of of. of, of the finest of precious stones you've ever seen. But watch this, John. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no, hey, it's the new Jerusalem. Here's the judgment. Here's what's going to be in the end. Because there is a place in God where God can show you the secrets of God. There's a place in God where your past is removed and your future is given. All of a sudden, somebody's in the church that says, I see it. I think God's calling me to missions. I think that's who my wife's going to be. Come on now. I think he's going to open the womb. I got a burden for that city. That's where God's calling me. Man, I feel like preaching to the anchor today. It's beholding the beauty of the Lord. And when chaos comes to your world, God takes a place and he hides you in his pavilion and said, you can't have it. Why? Because I made a covenant a long time ago. If you'll live according to my word, I'm going to be your God. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I think we ought to praise him all over this room. God is doing something in this room. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come here, come here. Uh, Geo, stand right there. And all of a sudden, a young man that was broken gets up off his knees and says, Pastor, the Lord showed me something through prayer. I feel like he's called me to evangelism. Why? Beholding the beauty of the Lord. Zion, the Lord sees every devotion you have at night with him. And he's taking that scripture and he's doing just like this. He's opening the word. 
He's revealing himself to you, isn't he? Lift your hands because you, you, have, you have no clue yet, but one of these days God's going to reveal it. Come on, lift your hands for these young people. I want you to lift your hands. God is doing something among our youth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. All of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit starts mixing with the prophetic of God. He's going to touch my family. He's going to heal my body. He's going to heal our city. He's going to do great things. Come on. Come on, believers. Come on, saints of God. There's revelation in this room. <laughs> what do you want God to do? Make your petition known. Come on. He's received a sacrifice. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. And the high priest come back out of that holy of holies. And he says, he's received the sacrifice. I'm convinced an entire nation began to roar from the center all the way to the perimeter and started saying, he's received our sacrifice. He's forgiven our sin. I think we ought to do that in this room because he was received up in the glory. The lamb, amen, the high priest, the blood. of. Come on, let's just... Let's praise Him. He has forgiven us. You say, but preacher, I'm a sinner. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to receive communion today. Right now, all over this room, I want you to begin to ask God to forgive you, to forgive you. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for the things I've said, for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the uncleanness in my life, the thoughts that I've had. Come on, everybody begin to pray like this. I'm sorry for my attitude, my bitterness. I'm sorry, God, for my hurt. I'm sorry, God, that I haven't done right. I'm asking you to forgive me today. I give you my life in return. I make a covenant with you. I'll walk according to your word and live according to your ways. Change me today. I want my family to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be right. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.